It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to reliving the war live and exclusive here on the gray wolf wrestling network my name is nims azor joined as always by my tag team partner simon tackler this is the podcast where we do exactly what it says in the description and we relive the monday night wars we are well into 1998 and we are on the highway to hell because it is time for wwf SummerSlam 1998 and along with WrestleMania 14, Simon, this one was another one of those real tell your friends, you got to track down this video and watch this pay for you, wasn't it, back in the day? Oh, absolutely. I remember watching this show at a friend's house because he had Foxtel and I didn't. And he was like, oh my God, highway to hell, you should come over to my house and watch it. And anytime I watch this pay-per-view, it takes me right back to 1998, to being 11 years old to watching this pay-per-view, not understanding half of the adult themes and references in it, but enjoying it anyway. I love this show so much. Yeah, it is a very, very good one. And because it is one of the big four WWF pay-per-views, we've also enlisted the services of our good buddy, Owen. Owen, welcome. And as we, as is customary when we get you on to live the war for the first time, uh, 1998, at this point in time, where were you at? Uh, this so this show was the August 30th, 1998. So we are a week and a half away from my third birthday. <laughs> so we are, um, just trying to think. I do remember this birthday for some reason, I don't know why, but yes, so we're a week and a half away from turning three. And because I haven't done it for a while, boys, I come with stats. Mm-hmm. So August 30, 1998. The number one song on the Australian Aria charts. What was it? Any guesses? <laughs> Would it be uh, something ridiculous like Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba? No. People call them one hit wonder, and I get really mad about it because they're my favorite band of all time. Is it oh, OMC? How Goo Goo Dolls. No. <laughs> yeah, Simon knows it. Simon gets it. Wow. Yeah, I still reckon that OMC is an underrated band. US box office. What was the number one movie in the US? Uh, pretty big film. Pretty big film. Titanic? No. no 97. It, ha- uh, it had. I don't a, feel it- like we've run through that stat before. <laughs> I don't know. Blade. Blade. Oh, wow. Blade. Wow, it was number- the number one movie? Damn. Yeah. And the number very one- sparse in 98. Hey, and the Blade number one awesome. movie. <laughs> Blade is an awesome film. And the number one film on the Australian box office that week. Now oh, that's think, funny that it wasn't Blade. Think huge, massive film, massive soundtrack. Looking massive for Ella Brandy. Ma- <laughs> <laughs> massive lips that sang the soundtrack. Mick Jagger, what did he do in 98? 
No. Eric, um, I'm a get it. Yeah, I'm a get it. I don't want to miss a thing. Number one, it was number one for three. It was the, it was the last of its reign at number one in the Australian box office. That film didn't go to number one in the States, by the way, which is fascinating to me. They were probably anyway, deep, they, they were probably deep impacted out because that's when Morgan Freeman and Tay Leone were in <laughs> deep impact, <laughs> which was the exact same thing except Bruce Willis wasn't stranded on an astronaut. But um, anyway, but we'll let's put, talk about wrestling. We'll push on. We kick off uh, WWF SummerSlam 1998 with the signature uh, of the WWF Attitude Era. Every time I see this, I mean, you talk about uh, taking it back to watching. SummerSlam 98 at your mate's house. This always takes you back to taping WWF superstars on a Sunday night. Um, but this is also, is this also the first time we see the Brothers of Destruction as well? This is the formation. We've seen them feuding up until this point, And there's been talk of a Kane and the Undertaker in cahoots. And we're getting close to cahootsomania um, <laughs> when the Brothers of Destruction formally start to team up. Vince McMahon, for those who don't know at the time, was kind of pulling the strings. He wanted them to team up because he knew to destroy Steve Austin, you need Kane and The Undertaker on the same page. So a great angle, like this storyline with Austin and McMahon, the way they incorporate Mick Foley and then the Brothers of Destruction, it's very good. It's such a great thing. And then, of course, they form the corporation, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. Now, the WWE Network uh, version of w- of uh, Slum- SummerSlam 98 omits the very awesome video intro to the paper, which was uh, the ACDC Highway to Hell video package, which was a big, big theme of SummerSlam 1998. Now, we just watched it on YouTube before we started recording this. No, and that's the first time you've ever seen it, isn't it? Yes, and it was incredible. I've never seen that... Um that uh missing link i guess you could say um also funny because that's uh industry talk the old link anyway um no i loved it it was awesome um i really enjoyed it and as simon pointed out when watching the video just then the crowd like they were cutting to the live crowd and the crowd was singing along getting hyped for it and that's what made me hyped I was like, well, that's really cool. They should have kept it but the intro video for the actual pay-per-view that was shown on tv was really cool as well again WWF just outdoing themselves every month. Yeah, they really, really put were really putting the uh, the foot down when it comes to sort of momentum here. But we will get to our first match. It starts up with Val Venus versus D'Lo Brown. He's the European champion, and all I can say is this is the most 1998 era because all the ladies that they pan to in the crowd. It's that it's a sign of the times. The fashion is there. It's midriffs a go go, tank tops a go go, and, and Val all- Venus. And they all had the Rachel Green haircut. Yes, they certainly did. And Val Venus is so over. Anyone that tries to say that Val Venus was not a massive star in the Attitude Era clearly has not watched it or has only seen the tail end of Sean Morley's career because uh, he was just all over and his promos were just, well, that, that was something, weren't they, Simon? Oh, it was fantastic. So again, you know, I mentioned I watched this live. I was only 11 at my mate Peter's house. We were eating roast chicken with chips and gravy. Val Venus is saying, I came, I saw, and I came again. He gets a big (laughs) pop. I didn't know what that meant at 11 years old, but I knew it meant something cool. (laughs) So, Mm. you know, I was like, this guy's cool for some reason. Can I say I popped so much for the lower third graphic and they just place it across his penis 
like to insinuate that he was possibly naked. Like that popped me way too much than it should have. I reckon. Well, I've I've put I've made the note here because both D'Lo Brown and Val Venus are in their respective WrestleMania 2000 ring attires and the same ones that they also have in WWF Attitude as well. Um, which, as you can tell, they really stuck to the same gimmick for a couple <laughs> of years there. Yes. Um, uh, JR also becomes very self-aware at all the, all the references to D'Lo Brown being an accountant throughout the match. Look, no, no. To be fair, I actually made note of it. He took it a few minutes before mentioning that D'Lo was a certified public accountant. He yeah, held and then, back and for a few. He held minutes. back, and then and then he throws it up, which we've told you many times. I must say, I was going to say, I must say, I popped for the fact that he, that um, D, because he was a European champion, D'Lo Brown was billed from Helsinki, Finland. Such a yeah, nice this- touch. This was a, a reoccurring gimmick. Now, he, D'Lo Brown's the one that pioneered that one, but Al Snow later on in the Attitude Era really took it to new heights, but uh, we'll get to that in a couple of years, no doubt. Um, <laughs> let's let's actually get to the match because D'Lo and Val can actually wrestle, and you don't think of D'Lo Brown and Val Venus as two guys that can put on an absolute barnstorm to get the crowd uh, up and running. Obviously, Owen, you would have seen, you know, you've grown up on like new school era wrestling and you haven't sort of seen the back and forth sort of, uh, how do I put it? It's like, it's almost like two minute noodles, quick and dirty kind of attitude era matches to start off a pay-per-view. What did you think of this one? Um, my main note for this match is this, this match has no right being as good as it is. Um, and I think it probably sums it up quite nicely. This match was fantastic. I watched it on the train to work this morning at seven o'clock. Um, and it worked me right up. It was great. Um, yeah, I, I really, um, I must say though, you can tell Val Venus was still kind of green though, because he hit like the beginner's trio combo of moves of the side Russian leg sweep, the um, drop toe hold into the drop kick. <laughs> it always looks good though. It always Nothing looks good though. Um, I like how there was someone in the crowd with the GCW air horn. <laughs> for the first few uh, moments of the match. And then obviously they must've got it confiscated. Um, and surely I think Simon and I have this discussion before, but um, firstly, the, the chest protector for D'Lo was such a good gimmick because it, it and it, I guess technically speaking, it makes the opponent rethink their match psychology because obviously you can't do any sort of body strikes otherwise you're gonna break your hand on this metal plate so like i like the fact that the big valboski had to go for like you know leg kicks and like headshots and like when he was turning around attacking the back and everything i really enjoyed that and actually came it actually translated really well um but i must say that again someone i've discussed this before d-lo brown elbow drop surely is one of the best of all time i, I say it constantly but d-lo brown <laughs> Incredibly underrated. Uh, um, both both of these guys are like this match. I don't want to give them too much credit. It might sound like it's hyperbole, but this kind of match kind of sets the standard of the type of wrestling you would see in the WWE about four years later. So you know the mid card is always ahead of the main events in terms of what the style will be. These guys aren't wrestling like you know uh, Warlord and the Barbarian and Hercules from the eighties. These guys are like doing cutting edge moves and it's fast paced Mm. and it's athletic. That would be the norm in by 2002 and 2003 
in WWE. While WCW has cruiserweights and then old men main eventers, there's kind of a missing link. These guys kind of bring the best of both styles, I think, and that becomes the norm moving forward. And when you see just when we put this pay-per-view right next to the WCW one, there's not a lot in terms of the way that the show is structured. Bash at the Beach in 1996 is very much structured the same as Bash at the Beach in 1998. <laughs> yeah, you're whereas right. that's a good point. There is it is night and day between SummerSlam 96 and SummerSlam 98. A couple that's of things actually, I want to That's a great point. We've watched mm. WCW. We've seen like three versions of the same show at this point with Bash at the Beach and, you know, whatever corresponding pay-per-view. WWE, SummerSlam 96, 97, and 98 are completely different shows from each other. Meanwhile, and this would be one of the reasons why the WWF were taking off so much in 1998 compared to, you know, almost being out of business in uh, early 96. But uh, there were a couple of things I wanted, I've written down here. There is a D-Lo chant, that, a really loud D-Lo chant, and King chucks in the line must be a lot of people from europe here tonight which i thought was really really good and then as a direct rebuttal there's a delo sucks chant directly afterwards which is really really cool it shows you just how much that uh, the crowd was uh, invested in them there is a cool um money shot reversal by delo brown from val venus into a, a sort of sky high move and you just forget that like delo brown i don't care what anyone says the sky high is a fantastic finisher Oh, D'Lo had a great moveset, you know, between the frog splash, the sky high, the shaky head leg drop, mm-hmm. D'Lo was great. <laughs> Although I will say one scary moment, one of D'Lo's signature moves, he goes for the running Liger Running bomb, power? Oh, yeah. And when he fumbles on Val and kind of like before he gets him up the first time and kind of just drops him on the head, it's like, oh, oh this, you know, would be even worse a year later with draws. Yeah. yeah. Probably should have um, just shelved that move at this point. <laughs> it's like D'Lo, you got a good arsenal. Just yeah, you do what you do, do this one. <laughs> do what you know well. But uh, yeah, so the lowdown <laughs> is missed. Val steals D'Lo's chest protector, and the ref tries to stop him, but Val takes it out on the ref, and then it is a DQ finish. D'Lo Brown retains the the title, and Val Venus then goes absolutely bunto on the on the referee. It's fantastic. <laughs> He does. It was kind of a like for a second, the ending is a letdown because it's such a solid match, but it's a fun ending and it was a way to get Val kind of, you know, his money shot uh, mm-hmm. in front of the crowd and he taunts the referee and he hits him with a hell of a splash. For a big guy, Val Venus had an awesome top rope splash, a fun opening match and segment, I reckon. Going back to where we were back in 1998. So I was in year eight in 1998 but still you know you're still you're you're old enough to know what things are but also sometimes too young didn't put two and two together about money shot as his finisher (laughs) back in the day (laughs) no idea no idea um but we'll get to the next little segment which is michael cole backstage austin has destroyed a hearse on heat now we forget so in this era of kickoff shows back in the day Sunday Night Heat was actually, uh, it was also the secondary programming for WWE, but it was also like the lead-in to pay-per-views. That was actually one of my questions directed absolutely at you, Nims, in one of my notes was, so they act, so with pay-per-view weekends, they actually used Heat as a, as a run-in show. 
Mm-hmm. It would be live right. on pay-per-view days and it would be like any last-minute angles to lead into the pay-per-view. It's kind of a and cool like, idea. And like last-minute orders if you wanted to order it and stuff like that. Because yeah. Heat, yep. was on, Heat was on TV, yeah. It wasn't, on, it, it wasn't part of the pay-per-view. No, no. Yeah, it was on cable. It was on the USA Network. But and then cool eventually thing- MTV. That's how hot WWE was. They had a show on MTV. A very cool thing about, uh, yeah, at the same time, it's tough enough. So they had two shows on MTV, which is pretty cool. Uh, One thing that was also cool about those pre-pay-per-view Sunday night heats, they always didn't show the set. Like, you had to get the pay-per-view if you wanted to see what the set looked like, which was a little touch. Which was a little touch that was like, so that only focused on the in-ring action. Uh, I guess, you know, you didn't really have to hide much of the garden when it comes to the set. But uh, it was a a cool little... um, Thing that they used to do back in the day but yeah mankind is absolutely livid that stone cold steve austin has destroyed his house and this is the sort of transformation that we see into the mankind that we know and love right simon oh yeah absolutely like this run from here to the survivor series this is the proper mankind that everyone loves this promo is good but his next one later in the show is even better <laughs> That's the one that normally gets uh, quoted a fair bit. Uh, we get to our next match, which is the Oddities versus Kyantai. Now, if you're wondering why there's no entrance for the Oddities, it's because it's cut out because ICP actually performed the theme song live to the ring. So while they might have spent all the dollars to get all of these talents and music rights for the show, they obviously didn't for the streaming rights in 2014. But um, oh, this is where the pay for you kind of, uh, look, this is cl- this clearly isn't one of the greatest matches on the card, but at the same time, it's still a fun match. Yeah, so my main note for this one is uh, at least I'm getting my taste of shit WCW-style wrestling on a hmm. WWF show. <laughs> um, yeah, this was not fun. Um, like, yeah, I, I, what even is this match? Um, and I like, and when uh, one of the Kai and Ty guys lost their shoe um king goes if they're not made oh no um the jr goes if they're not made in america just throw it away Mm. um and i feel like he meant the actual people as well (laughs) um but also i picked up on it really late really late in the match i feel like king was talking about kind ties if they were a person and not a group because there was a spot where um one of the oddities got one of the I think it was Fanaki up in a choke in like a, a choke slam and they were like and he was like up oh, he's gonna you know he's gonna dump Kyantai on his head I'm like do you think this is an actual person <laughs> and not an actual group of people that I was makes so it confused easier to announce I know you don't have to remember names just Kyantai yeah it's brilliant it's genius in hindsight the best thing about this match though is Jr even says uh, now this wasn't advertised as a classic. But um, this, <laughs> this is like, you know, when people sort of have those like rose-colored glasses about, oh, the Attitude Era, that was so good. There was also a lot of this in the Attitude Era. But to be fair, the crowd at the time enjoyed it. They loved it. If you put on this sort of match in, you know, in the present day, hell, even put it on in 2016, it would absolutely be rained on from a great height. But everyone was getting into it and people loved seeing uh, Kyan Tiger get their comeuppance. They we were... Might- Hmm, there were massive heels back then. Yeah, and the oddities were fun and super over with the crowd, as were ICP. Like, honestly, if the entrance was kept in the network cut of this, 
we would probably give credit and say, oh, well, the oddities in ICP, you know, the crowd mm. loved it. That's different. To be fair, in 20 years, we might look back at modern wrestling and see Danhausen and think, oh, how weird that he was so over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. you need stupid gimmicks. That's wrestling. Just like 20 years before this, you had, uh, you know, name basically any wrestler the on Killer the WWE Bees undercard. Or... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know? yeah, you know, the Giants and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. But, um, oh, yeah, it, it was basically the mere fact that Kurgan and uh, Funaki were able to sort of like, well, Funaki was able to drag a match out of Kurgan is just incredible in itself. But uh, it, I, I've written down the note that Funaki, um, well, Kurgan basically disposes of all of Kyantai like the putties in uh, Power Rangers. He just dishes them <laughs> left, right, and nice. center. <laughs> And, um, and and also, if you punch them in the, in the Z on their chest, they also combust. <laughs> yes. uh, and and pretty much, if Vince had his way, much like the Power Rangers series, he would probably use Japanese footage spliced in with the American wrestlers. <laughs> then- yeah, you just you just get like Tiger Mask and like and like Liger just like spliced in the WWF footage. Uh, so we get a, a quadruple slam and then a pin on all four members of Kyantai to give the oddities the win. We don't see the celebrations because obviously we don't want to pay ICP the royalties. And then we get to a, another cross to the back where you can see the SummerSlam bus and Jeff Jarrett um, shaves Howard Finkel's head um, on Sunday Night Heat. This is just a remarkable little uh, segment here. Oh, it's great footage, and I like Finkel is a sympathetic figure, and we all love Howard Finkel. He's amazing, but the fact that they're shaving a bald guy's head and it gets heat <laughs> is so funny. Like, oh no, don't shave off the power donut, <laughs> you know? Like the power you've donut, him, you've done him a favor. He looks better, but anyway, this was great, and the fact that they tie it into the match is even better. This is a match that I wasn't sure if it was going to hold up because I was looking forward to watching it again. This was fantastic. Jeff Jarrett and X-Pac. If you're talking two of the most underrated wrestlers for some reason, this is two of them, and they killed it. Um, Southern Justice is banned from ringside, too. Some would like to see them banned from all further episodes <laughs> of this program. Close. But, They're almost <laughs> gone. Hair versus very... hair, though. Big, big stip for this match, too. Now, we often mention when we talk about 98 WWF that uh, there, are, there are bits of it that really sort of highlight how 1998 it is and x-park saying biatch <laughs> very very 1998 now this is as i mentioned a hair versus hair match and x-park and jarrett actually mix it up pretty damn well and yeah. did this sort of did this live up to the hype that uh you had of your memories back in the day simon absolutely especially the first couple of minutes these guys are going Basically, in fast forward, like, my God, Jeff Jarrett and X-Pac were just going for it here. Uh, also, I just want to mention Howard Finkel accompanies X-Pac to the ring in a DX shirt, and he Such even tells Jeff Jarrett to suck it. Um, but anyway, in terms of the match, excellent. These guys have great chemistry. Everything looks good. This looks like video game wrestling in the best way. Like, every move they hit looks basically perfect. Can't say enough good things about it. This is uh, this is something to keep your eye out for in future WWF views on because mm-hmm. anytime there is an honorary member of DX, they can't crotch chop properly. <laughs> like if you notice, like Mike Tyson kind of does like <laughs> doesn't <chop>. real high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Howard Finkel kind of, he doesn't quite seem to get how to do it, which I think is a really nice touch because it's like, hey, look, you can you can try, but only we know how to do it properly, which is a cool, <laughs> yeah. which I think is might be unintentional, but at the same time, it's kind of cool. Now, yeah. there is, there is, sorry, going on. I was going to say, now, here's something for you. Um, X-Pac in at this very time of that bash that happened was the same age as I am right now. He was 26 isn't and that, Jeff Jarrett was 31. Isn't that insane how young they both were and already know, like had been on TV for years? And Jarrett looked like he was 110. Like Jarrett looked like an old man. Jeff Jarrett's one of those guys where that pays off later because he looked old when he was young. When he did get to his 40s, you're like, Wow, he's in his forties. He looks good. He, he, he settles for twenty years. You know, one look. Mm. I like how Jeff Jarrett now cosplays as Dolph Ziggler, cosplaying as Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite, it's quite amusing that. Um, so now here's the other thing too. Um, there is a while this match is really, really like you said, Simon. It's like it's in so fast, good. It's in fast forward. There is a in the middle though. There is a massive pause button pushed where they just go into rest hole central and then and then of course southern justice has to come out and midian tries to ko xbox with a uh with a guitar which just like every time sup like the godwins just need to get out of there <laughs> we're close to say. getting rid of at least one of them very soon and then of course the other would become midian but i know their interference like oh no not southern justice but the way they sort of slowed it down with the rest holds and then rebuilt back up with the uh, near falls on like the X Factor and the Bronco Buster. By the time these guys interfere with the guitar, the crowd is going crazy. And when X-Puck dodges the guitar shot, grabs a guitar and smashes Jeff Jarrett behind the ref's back, that's one of the loudest pops of the night. Like these people lose their minds for this ending. Mm. Many uh, many critics of Jeff Jarrett often says that you know he puts he inserts himself into too many matches and bloody bloody blah, but I challenge you to find a Jeff Jarrett match where the crowd doesn't want to see him get his ass kicked. That's true. Like, Great he, heel. He he's a fantastic heel and a fantastic ref as well as we saw at <laughs> SummerSlam, which makes sense because he started off as a ref. Which... <laughs> and get out of here with this X Pac heat and blah blah blah. How many people have ever been this over in the past 20 years? Like, come on. Well, when we get up to X Factor, that one could be a bit questionable. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so now this is this is the, the post-match part is really, really interesting because the Outlaws, the Headbangers and Draws hold down Jeff Jarrett as X-Park cuts Jeff Jarrett hairs. But the Clippers break, so they cut his hair with scissors. It's a fantastic, because Jeff Jarrett is doing the old school Southern heel of like, you know, did you not see it? How did you make your blind? <laughs> like, it's just so good. He's really having it up. And I, I love the fact that when they let Finkel cut the hair, he threw the hair up and like it landed on his head. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. It's- All of the good guys getting payback on a heel. Sometimes you need that. Like it was a fun yeah. moment. And Jeff Jarrett, like you said, just trash talking, you know, on the way down was just fantastic. And also, though, in wrestling, why don't they know that you can't cut sweaty hair with clippers? Like, mm. it never works. Just please don't do that, you know? 
Or at least, like, if you're going to do a hair versus hair match, do what they learned to do and have like the little barbers stand in the, at the at the top of the ramp. Yeah, like that's that seems to get the job done pretty well. Um, we then cross to Doc Hendricks, who is at the Lions Den, and he introduces what it looks like, and then it crosses to um, the Rock with Michael Cole. The Rock is just firing on all cylinders here. This is just he's he's found himself very very quickly. Oh, yeah. This is 100% rock. He's talking about millions and millions of fans. He guarantees that he's going to win. Smell what the rock is cooking. He even cuts off uh, Michael Cole at the end, and he sends it back to JR and King, which yeah, yeah. is so good. I, baby Michael Cole pops me because you just don't, like, I feel like people like my age, like, don't, like, don't even envision Michael Cole being a child. <laughs> like, like, it was just this is just this old guy who's been on wrestling forever, but we don't know what he looks like as a kid. And he's like, he would be like, what, early twenties when this happened? Yeah, it was very. Uh, what's even more um, remarkable is like prior to this, like so before he did what he's doing in this pay per view, he was a war correspondent. Like that's what's <laughs> that's what's even more bizarre. Like what? He's yeah, he's in Kuwait with like flak jackets and stuff during like the Gulf War. And then all of a sudden he's being lambasted by The Rock. Or was he? Or was he in Kuwait for the Kuwaiti shows? No, no, no. He, he was <laughs> a war correspondent <laughs> yeah. reporting on um, Ahmed Johnson's big victory. Yeah. <laughs> but what? But when you think about it, like he, this, is, that would be the equivalent of like, like you know, Peter, Peter Harvey, Canberra. Yeah, just it, it's remarkable that he's had like two massive chapters of his life. Um, but we'll get to our next match, which is Mark Mero and Jacqueline versus Sable and a mystery partner. Uh, Mero and Jackie come out, and uh, all I can say is, marvelous Mark Mero is so much better than the Wild Man. <laughs> oh yeah, I know it's a shame this really didn't take off for different reasons. But uh, looking back <laughs> at it, I kind of love marvelous Mark Mero. He's so hateable. What a great douchebag he was. Yeah. Uh, also, amazing sign in the crowd. So at this time, a popular sign was I'd rather be in China, spelt China, mm. the wrestler, because it's a play on words. And obviously, China is a country. Someone with no creativity, but it made the sign funnier, had a sign that said, I'd rather be in Sable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's straight to the point. It's just like, it's <laughs> not a it double, just, you know. It does what it says in the tin right there. That's all yeah, I want. it really does. Um, this one is. This note's catered for Simon. Um, I like I have never really paid attention to um, Mark Mero's entrance music, um, but I did tonight, and it's a great ripoff of Countdown to Extinction era Megadeth. <laughs> oh wow, you're right. It kind of is. Yeah, I guess that's the vibe they're going for. It's very like you know, skin of my teethy kind of like yep. poppy chorus and big riffy verses Megadeth. The symbols the, um, yeah, kind of the, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see that. It's also, the, it's also the same theme to uh, to Halloween Havoc 97 too. Oh, Always, you've mentioned yeah. this. You've mentioned this. Paul I Mark Mero got WCW Mark, scraps. Mark Mero, I should also point out too, has a hell of a tan. He's like a couple of shades off Jackie here. That's, that's what's <laughs> Like, seriously, like, have a look at them side by side. It is yeah. mental. You're allowed he's, to he's, say that because in WCW, his gimmick was basically doing blackface. He was Johnny B. Bad, who was a little Richard kind of impersonator. Impersonator, yeah. He's not a black um, guy. It's so, so, so weird. So Sable comes out on her own and her partner is Edge. And uh, it's it's 
crazy to think that Edge is still going strong here today and doing Canadian destroyers on uh, Damien Priest. But um, this this is one of those cases too, as I sort of mentioned, like there's a lot more story in WWF matches than there are in WCW. Like, so when the match can't quite live up to the hype in terms of match quality, the story more often than not does all the heavy lifting. And that's basically what this match does. Yeah. And it was a good match. I actually enjoyed it. Looking back at it, uh, people criticized Sable. She executed all of the moves fine. Like she didn't mess Mm -hmm. anything up. She got the crowd into it. She was fired up every time she got a tag. And you might think, oh, what a weird way to debut Edge. But you know what? Sable was as over as anyone. This storyline was hot at the time. You automatically insert Edge as like, this guy is important and he's saving and being the partner of, you know, your favorite uh, female superstar. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Now, did you guys hear King just saying King things during Sable's entrance when she was walking to the ring? And he was like, my name's not Alma, but you can tickle me anytime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was pretty par for the course for King. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I, I, I like the fact that like, the, the crowd was super hot for this. Like, the crowd were on for this match. Um, my question is, was there, was there any backstory between Sable and Edge, or was this just a way to get Edge over? Well, this was Edge's first ever pay-per-view match. So we've only seen Edge in the crowd. We've seen him have maybe a couple of matches on TV. He's undefeated. So this was one of those things where, like, who's she going to pick? She's picking this undefeated guy. You know, that was kind of it. And I think it In fact, we we saw Edge at the start of this pay-per-view. I I forgot to mention that in, like, the first match. He's just in the crowd. Yeah, Um, just lurking. He is. He's also, you can also tell that he's like just really young and stupid here because he's doing moves that would just obviously, like, if you're a veteran, like, turn it down, kid. Come on, let's relax because he's doing like suicide dives off the top to Mero. And, and then, and then there's a bit where he um, bends Jackie over and starts spanking her on the ramp as well. That got <laughs> a huge pop. That is monster that, pop. Someone would have said, all right, we're going to put this spot in there because trust me, the crowd's going to love it. And, you know, this is the way to get yourself over in your debut. Edge looked also, great here. He looked great. Did, did you guys notice that Jackie wasn't actually wearing wrestling gear? She was wearing blue tights and a red Speedos um, uh, Baywatch-esque swimsuit. Over the tights. That's classic women's wrestling attire, though. It's so weird. Yeah. It's just like um going to do, uh, you know, uh, oh, my God, aerobics. I forgot like Pilates the Pilates. Yeah, yeah, like going yeah. to your 80s aerobics <laughs> class. Yeah, she, was just, she wasn't wearing, like, wrestling gear. She was just wearing, like, it was. you could see the Speedos logo on, like, the upper part of the strap and everything. I pumped for it. Um, no, I yeah, I, I like this match. It was, it was all gaga, but it was really enjoyable. Um, yeah, they did exactly what it needed to do. Spot it, of the match, though, which got the biggest ovation, Sable hits a Hurricane Rana, crowd goes wild, and then yeah. it, like, followed that into that classic spot where Jacqueline was wobbling, and then she fell over and headbutted Mero in the nuts. Yep. It was just amazing. <laughs> love it. Yeah, I love it. Um, so, yeah, like you said, Sable and Edge get the win there, and uh, we then get to this one of the best Mankind promos of the time, which is great. He was, he was so switched on. Michael Cole's backstage with Mankind. Kane, who is Mankind's tag team partner, he won't be there. And, he, and Mick is very annoyed and he cuts a hell of a promo. And then Vince McMahon comes out to console Mick. And this is a, 
a great backstage skit where Vince, he's basically trying to convince mankind to fight the outlaws on his own. And it's, I, I can't even describe how good this is. You know, we hear the backstage stories about how Vince McMahon has, you know, Jedi mind control and he can convince <laughs> you to do anything. That was this played out on camera. Vince McMahon's speech here was fantastic. Yeah, it was telling it was Foley that he would be in the Madison Square Garden Hall of Fame next week if he can defend <laughs> the tag titles as one person. And then Vince McMahon walks off because Foley's like, it's no DQ. I don't have my sledgehammer. Live in the shot, Vince McMahon just grabs any piece of garbage that he can <laughs> and he looks at Foley and says, I can hand you history on a silver platter. It is. And he literally has it amazing. on a silver yeah. platter. <laughs> Their chemistry, like I know we all think of Austin and McMahon, but Foley and McMahon were just like a different version. It was so good. And then, of course, <laughs> yeah, Nims, as you mentioned, Foley's line at the end of this promo. Yeah, the the I've got thirteen words for you. <laughs> How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? It's just <laughs> so good, and it just sums up Mick so well. Uh, we then get to a video package which builds the Lions Den match, and just quickly, is it Dan Severin or Dan Seven? It's, it's Dan, Dan Seven. It's Dan Seven. Exactly. The fact that they would always mess it up gave me the shits <laughs> even back then. <laughs> All right, so so we see the the, the feud between uh, the guys there, and then we go to the Lions Den match. It's Owen Hart with Dan S- Seven Severin Seven Se- Seven Seven. Yep. Yeah, there, there we go. I like the number. <laughs> <laughs> Owen Hart with Dan Seven versus Ken Shamrock. Now, the thing that I thought was really a nice touch was how they put the little graphic that says this is live from a theater at in Madison Square Garden because I'm really glad they clarified it up with their little graphic too. Also, we're at 100% peak Ken Shamrock, the classic blue attire. It's just such a cool visual of the Lions Den as well. This is just an awesome, awesome match. But can we also touch on the fact that as much as we love Ken Shamrock, he really is a terrible promo because the promo that they played before the match and Simon's kicking, so I know he knows what I'm going to say. He's like, Dan Severin, I'm going to finish. Well, I couldn't finish on Monday night. It's like, don't you mean finish what you started? Like- <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how the saying goes. <laughs> exactly how the saying goes. But um, I also love the fact that when Owen was walking into the cage, Dan, the Beast 7, had his fist out for a fist bump and Owen no-sold it. Mm. So Dan Severin hits him on the shoulder and they do, <laughs> and he forces him to do the fist bump. That popped me so much. I, I want to say, I like Owen Hart mixing it up with these guys, oh, Shamrock, so Dan Seven, and eventually, you know, when you incorporate, like, Steve Blackman. I know Owen would go on to tag team with Jeff Jarrett, and they were a really good team. I kind of wish they kept this Owen Hart, though, like, kind of badass Owen Hart, who, you know, yeah. uses the more Black of the Hart. Hart dungeon kind of thing. Yeah, because yeah. imagine, obviously, we didn't get to see it, but... Imagine a couple of years later, him then being able to mix it up with like Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle and that generation of guys. like Even yeah. like Brock. Yeah, exactly. Well, 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 cool. My last note of this match is honestly, couldn't, I couldn't think of anyone better than Owen to do a match with Shamrock, a match like that with Shamrock, because he will take dumb bumps, but like, and he will get like, you know, hit hard way and stiff and stuff, but like he gives it back just as hard. There's some cool little things how like Shamrock like sort of runs up the cage and does mm. like um 
uh, like like Spike Dudley's acid drop kind of thing, and, yeah. and the Irish whips into the into the into the um the cage actually look kind of cool because they don't bounce off like like they do on in um in a ring. It's it's a very very unique break at the sharpshooter as well. How Shamrock climbs up the climbs side of the cage, it's and then such, he, it, yeah, and then like he like he he does like you know when they do like the knee thing into the into the the turnbuckle, he mm-hmm. did that to break it into the into the cage wall, which I thought was really cool. Nims, so cool. It, it's a very very unique kind of match, and you and you're right there too. On that, just going back to um Owen mixing it up with like you know later greats, I'd, he's um he had a dark match with Kurt Angle. Oh, and wow. and that uh, that footage has never never been like seen. There is one photo of uh, Kurt Angle and Owen Hart wrestling, and that is about it. That's the only like documented sort of um, record of that match, which is, that is crazy when you think about it. So wild because Owen Hart kind of felt like you know the odd man out during the Attitude Era, even though he still had a great run. IC champ, tag team champ. He almost like just missed the era where he would have made even more sense, and that's the early two yeah. thousands with those guys. Which is, uh, let me share. Let me. Sh- I'm gonna quickly uh, share my screen here because <laughs> it's the it's the easiest. Simon's got it all all cool up with the. Ah, oh, come on, Simon. <laughs> Never mind. We'll cro- <laughs> uh, if you because because my phone's on charge, but um, yeah, there is only one picture of Owen Hart. And um, it, it's it's the match that no one's ever seen except for the live crowd. Uh, if you if you Google Owen versus Angle, and just You're right. put it in, in Google Images, there's a screenshot of like Kurt Angle and Owen Hart. Kurt Angle's like power slamming Owen. Is that a real that, photo? That's a real photo. Wow, there you go. Okay, it's the uh, it's as this oh, um, wow. as this um, little as one of the. From the website Bleeding Cool, it's the dream match that happened and we didn't see it. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. So pretty crazy that's there. Sick. Hmm. So that would have been during his trial run. Yep. Yeah, yeah because uh, so it was '98 when he went to debut in ECW, got really offended by the the crucifixion, left, and then went to WWF. So um, anyway, we're getting sidetracked. We'll get to our next little bit here. Shamrock wins by submission, obviously. Then we get to Michael Cole with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin has the Smoking Skull belt, uh, which is something I didn't I didn't pick up on the first time. Well, I guess I never remembered it back then. Or noticed the difference. Like, when did he get the Smoking Skull belt? Was that like done on Raw or? It must have been on Raw where he said he doesn't want your title kind of thing, and this represents mm. him better. Sort of, you know. Um... Yeah, because yeah. so, so to put it in the context, we didn't actually get raw till years later. It wasn't until okay. like till like the year two thousand, and even then, we used to have it was on a two week delay. So uh, yeah, so we'll push on. Um, it's a short but sweet little interview here, and then we get to our next match, which is Mankind versus the New Age Outlaws. And this is where Vince, um, where King goes and says, Vince McMahon could talk a fish out of water and and uh, make him go for a walk with you. Yeah. Another thing that dates how 1998 this is, the South Park shirts on the New Age Outlaws. I One of my main notes in caps lock was the South Park shirts. <laughs> um, also, I like the fact that on this day of recording, which is the 25th of August, so we're five days from the actual date of the record of the, of the day of the show. 
58-year-old Billy Gunn had a match on live TV today, and it was brilliant. (laughs) So, and then if you go back, what, 25 years, 24 years, he had a match on on a pay-per-view almost 24 years ago to the day. The man is ageless. He looks better now than he did back then. He wrestles better now than he did back then. It is sensational. It's a, a marvel of genetics, the will of God, and the pharmaceutical industry. Sure. <laughs> All I can hey, say is- whatever works, man. He looks good. If I've learned anything about uh, Billy Gunn is don't ask that man for a photo without being at his gimmick table. Did <laughs> <laughs> Nims get yelled at? No, 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 no. So at WrestleCon in 2017, as I'm walking to the toilet, someone's there like trying to get a selfie with Billy Gunn. He basically swats away the phone and says, you can pay your money like everyone else. <laughs> uh, which but, um, is quite good. Uh, just, just quickly, um, before we get into the match, Simon, I, I, this is an unofficial stat, but I, I was trying to do the math as I was watching this. Do you reckon out of, all, out of the two years we've been doing this show, we have seen Billy Gunn wrestle the most? Oh well, we should we should be keeping track of who we've seen the most. But you know what? Between the smoking guns and the New Age Outlaws, think about it. Sean's gone. Brett's gone. Taker missed a few pay per views. Mick Foley. Oh man, you know what? Between Foley, Taker, and Billy Gunn, it's got to be. Yeah, it's got to be. Gotta be. I reckon. I reckon it's Billy oh. Gunn because we've we've seen smoking guns, Billy. We've seen rockabilly. <laughs> we've seen him like it, we've seen every incarnation of Billy Gunn Ooh. almost on the regular, even when he just did a guest spot in that UK pay per view. You're what right. About, I don't know, man. Foley and Taker. They're around. what about what about six slash X Park? Nah, he's oh, you mean between WCW between and WWE? WC- nah, he's injured through a lot of '96, oh, though. He doesn't oh, show up. Shoot. Billy Gunn. Unbreakable in this era, <laughs> Unbra- unbreakable Billy Gunn. <laughs> He's just crazy. But um, but all I can say is um, this is an absolutely brutal match. It is stiff. <laughs> it is. There is no regard for anyone's safety in this match. Sick By anyone, you mean say. Mick Foley's? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all I've written down here is like, like you know, the sp- there's a spike pile driver. Like, because I'm just sitting there, just like, man, you could never do this match today. At least not on mainstream um, mainstream TV. Because this match was butchered and cut on the version I watched as a kid. It wasn't shown really? in full because of how violent it was. Yeah. It was pretty gross. A lot of headshots to poor Mick Foley. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, and like I, I like how there was the callbacks to the WrestleMania match from earlier in the year with the mm-hmm. red with the red dumpster. Mm. Um, and a lot of the spots were quite similar, which I think was kind of cool. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just a, a fully physical match here. And Mick, to, to be fair, sort of brings it back to the Outlaws as well. Mm. He ne- the numbers game always um, outdoes him. But um, he, the, the, he gets a spike pile driver on the tag belt, which gets the win for the Outlaws. And post-match, they throw him into the, um, the dumpster. And Kane is in the dumpster. like So he's yes. there the entire match, just, <laughs> just chilling. Relaxing. Glenn Jacobs in the garbage where he belongs. <laughs> um, yeah, I so- thought this the story of the match is interesting because Kane and Mankind are the tag team champions, but now that Kane is starting to side with The Undertaker, Mankind is the odd man out, and here we kind of cement that because Kane 
allegedly just, you know, hammers Mick Foley to death mm. <laughs> by the way JR reacted to this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we move on to our next match. I guess they've moved Mick Foley's corpse out. Thankfully, it's already in a bin, so Kane's done 50% of the work for him. Uh, then we get to our next match, which is probably uh, one of the breakout matches that you will ever see. It is Triple H and The Rock in a ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship. The DX band play out Triple H. Oh, God. And, and uh, it was a big thing back in the day. Like, like Oh, it's bad. Again, I like this out of tune, funky version of this. <laughs> oh, it's bad. Well, because they're playing to a backing track, but they're playing live as well. And because the guitar is out of tune, and because the guitar doesn't have a clean, because the guitar is playing with a clean tone and no distortion, it sounds terrible. And what I found hilarious when they were running to the ring and the guitar was turned on, so all you could hear was gluck, 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 gluck. And it was just, and the drums were out, and then they lost time in the backing track, and it was just a shamoz. What about Chris, Chris Warren? Chris Warren just killing it though. Yeah, he's, 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 he's a beast. Them, so. Yeah. Everything else was terrible. I did pop for the fact that Trips got Chris Warren just up on his shoulders like a child. Triple H was very big for showing love to people that showed him love, like that, like at the WrestleMania entrance where he went out of his way to go and fist bump and hug Lemmy and Motorhead and then go back to his entrance. Let's um, face it, if Chris Warren was alive, Triple H would hire him back to write a new oh, song for someone. <laughs> 100%. Could he, actually, um, I just want to bring this up. We never discussed it at WrestleMania 14 last time we saw Chris Chris Warren. But Nims, was this an urban legend when you grew up as well? But a lot of people I knew thought that Chris Warren was <laughs> X-Puck's brother. Yeah, that was the rumor going around at the time. Yeah, it was a very common rumor, and because and because and because the thing is, like you know, it was one of those ones, like you know, oh, there's two Ultimate Warriors, all that sort of thing, because it seemed conceivable enough. Like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, but it doesn't at all. DX song, no, it doesn't really. It doesn't doesn't make sense at all. (laughs) But you know, the internet doesn't arrive for like two more years, (laughs) so we're going to check it. Um, so let's let's um. We'll quickly get through the entrances here because this is one thing. Now, it references the Razor and Sean match, so that made me sort of question: Is this only the second ladder match in WWF history? Third officially, so Third, WrestleMania oh, yeah. ten, SummerSlam, SummerSlam, and this, yeah, yeah, yeah. On TV, we've only had three. And the thing is, too, like what I loved is that because it's still a, a relatively unique match, Jr. has to talk through it to explain like what the what the rules of the match are. It's like, so the belt gets hung up and then you got to reach for the belt. It's it's very cool. And the fact that it's also an MSG, um, which is the site of Razor and Sean's um, classic back at WrestleMania 10, also adds to it for me. But um, for me, this you can see from this match, this is the blueprint for the rivalry between Triple H and uh, The mm-hmm. Rock. Mm-hmm. Yep. Owen, you, you tell us what you thought of this because I've seen this match a million times and it still held up. What did you think watching it? Well, throwback to one of the last episodes that the three of us ever did of the Wide World of Wrestling podcast where we compiled the greatest ever SummerSlam card of all time. And this match was on there. 
We decided that this match was on our card of the greatest ever summer, our seven match card of the greatest ever SummerSlam matches of all time. Um, so I've seen this match a couple of times, but I'll, I'll, I'll quickly just run through my notes. Um, I really like seeing the belt, the, the, the ref set up the belts. Can we get that back in wrestling, please? Mm. I think it adds a little bit more drama to it than just having the belts already set up there. That's a good point. Like, it's a bit I of really extra enjoy... theatrical sort of exactly. show, yeah. And because, and also the champion gets his entrance as well with the belt. With the exactly belt. right. I yeah. I think they should be doing that more often. Um, the psychology and the build was really good. Um, also, I really like the foreshadowing of them of um of the Rock just working Triple H's quads. Um, because fast forward a couple of years, they don't exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the catapult from the ladder. Like they were on the outside near the near the commentary desks. The catapult into the ladder was horrific and I loved it. Yeah, I've, um, I've written the note here. No one takes a catapult like Triple yeah, oh, he A. He does, he, he does <laughs> him, he did make him his thing. On that, um, great use of the ladder more as a weapon as opposed to something to jump off in this match. Yes. Now, I've written that. My One of my main notes is I like how it's a wrestling match, but you have to climb the ladder to win, not the ladder, not like ladder matches these days where everything includes a ladder, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it was wrestling ladder, the wrestling match around ladders, but you use a ladder to win the match, not to, you know, further yourself in the match. But um, it, it, it does. And when it is used as a weapon, like that baseball slide to the rock, it makes sense because it just happens to be a ladder in the way of the move that you were going to yeah. do. They don't set it up to do it like they would today. Mm. Um, and he absolutely I, yeah. wrecks the rock's face, though. <laughs> like, Oh, wow. my God. That that gig mark across his forehead was pretty cooked. Um, I also really... um Oh, yeah. So the video I sent you guys in the group chat was the most horrific cutoff I've seen in ever when, when the rock just pulls the ladder out of Triple H's legs and... <laughs> Trips just almost dies. Like it was, he was so close to just like stapping his legs in six different places. Um, and but then like the pop, like the the pop when Triple H won was enormous. Yeah, yeah. like it, it, it was crazy. Like the such last, a loud pop. The last few minutes as they build up to you know the people's elbow gets a giant ovation. The Rock is. Getting Rocky chance and let's go Rocky and Triple H chance. And the and rock bottom pop was monstrous. When he got him off the ladder into a rock bottom. Great spot. Yeah, did you notice huge. at times the crowd was actually rumbling? They were all stamping their feet during this match. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the loudest reactions for a match. Like, this is great. They love it. Wild. And it's awesome. It's it's a it's a phenomenal match. And I'll give you a, a stat that I don't think anyone else has ever used. Uh anyone that has their bare ass shown on pay-per-view in a ladder match in Madison Square Garden will go on to lose the match because the same thing happens to Sean at <laughs> WrestleMania 10. <laughs> wow, there you go. That's the, oh. to, that's the way to win a ladder match in Madison Square hey, Garden. And just hey, Nims, the guy. Nims, do you want my job as a sports statistician? <laughs> <laughs> and I love the ending, the ending here as well. So Mark Henry's on the outside, as is China. So... Triple H gets powder in the face, so he's blind for the last few moments. China low blows Rocky, so he's kind of at a disadvantage as well. So it becomes a slow race. One guy's got powder in the face. One guy's just copped a low blow. Who's going to survive all of this to the end? And then it's a race, and it's very dramatic, and the crowd goes nuts, and China celebrates with Triple H. It's fantastic. 
it is. This is clearly match of the night here. At least that's what I'm. I'm going to put it down. And it's a, it's a forgotten classic because no one ever talks about this match now. Like it's yeah. often forgotten about the when you think about the Rock and um, Triple H's history, people mention it, but like oh yeah, and it's it all like the coming out party was basically SummerSlam '98, but no one talks about the match like they should. In the same vein of like Razor and Sean, or you know TLC two, when it really should be. Well, I wrote down this is I, I looked it up. I said, was this match of the year in nineteen ninety eight? Anyway, I couldn't really find it. But just on what we've all watched through WCW and WWE, this is the match of the year so far. I, I think, think this is match of the year so far. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Um, just quickly at the at the end of the match, The Rock uh, it, it cut to some home video footage, which was a thing that WWF used to do on their home video releases, and it's The Rock going backstage. I think there's elements of it where it probably peels the curtain back a bit too much because it's where's Taker, where's Taker, where's Taker, where's Taker, Taker, get the gorilla, Taker, Taker, where's the gorilla? So good. Um, and then The Rock sort of uh, then snaps back into character. He gets to what gets a bit hostile towards the Doctor, and then cuts a hell of a promo on Triple oh, H yeah. about how he's still the people's champ. So a very, very cool uh, little bookend to the match. Uh, just before we get to our main event, we go back to the desk and um, King Well, um, JR mentions Canada, the UK, South Africa, and North America um, for watching the pay-per-view live because you still got to remember at this point in time, we're still on delay and we don't have live pay-per-views in the, uh, on the WWF until the year 2000. What was is, the first ever live pay-per-view? Was it, WrestleMania? was it WrestleMania? What's that? The first ever? In Australia. Um, yeah. On um, WCW had all 12 pay-per-views because you could watch WCW monthly. Um, and then in 2000, WWF, I have a feeling it was WrestleMania 2000. No, no, the Royal Rumble, because I remember ordering that oh, Royal Rumble yeah, 2000. Was it in the year 2000 you could get every pay-per-view or just the big five? Just just the big five. But then in 2001, it was every pay-per-view Everything. every month. Mm. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, so these were these were crazy times back in that, which is why like it's, it's funny to go back and rewatch it because we either watch it because Channel Ten used to also show the pay per views as well. Like you'd have it on Sunday night at like eight thirty, but it'd be like the ones where it'd cut out giant parts of it. Like for example, the Royal Rumble where they that you probably watched Simon where it cut out a huge chunk of Chainsaw Charlie. Yeah, absolutely. Where they don't show it because it's too hardcore. Like I didn't even know that hardcore spot existed until uh, we did that episode of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we get to the main event it is the undertaker versus stone cold again there are no video packages in this um in in the the network edition of the paper because obviously they don't want to pay for acdc and probably i guess acdc charge a hefty fee but um so uh, the main- a couple of bucks and a hot dog <laughs> yeah so the main talking point obviously kane is barred from ringside and that is pretty much the narrative for this but all in all, I think this is the first main event that we've seen uh, of Austin's run so far, where Austin's not 100% supported by the crowd. Like, he's definitely 90%, but there's still a big upswing for Taker there as well. Yeah, these mm. guys have discussed this. A lot of people backstage wanted Taker to be a clear-cut heel here so they don't deal with this kind of reaction. But Taker was adamant that, you know, he wanted to go in as a face Maybe it takes away from the match slightly, but I think it's still really good. 
I think it's better than their match from 97 at a cold day in hell. Mm. Um, and also, extra credit, Steve Austin is concussed like two minutes in and finishes oh, which the match. Spot? Um, so he's explained it in a bunch of podcasts. So it's the spot that we're doing where Taker is bent over in the middle of the ring and like Austin runs off the ropes to reverse a back body drop. He kicks the Undertaker in the face. And normally when you do that to the Undertaker, he snaps back up like a zombie when you kick him. Yeah. Anyway, as he kicked him, the back of Undertaker's head uppercuts Stone Cold in the chin. Oh, okay. Knocks him out. That's why his mouth is bleeding through the Yeah, mouth. okay. Um, just quickly before we're talking about spots, I will always love, as one of my notes here, I've always loved Takers when he when he whips them into the corner so fast, they bounce back and go straight into the Lariat. Mm. Mm. One of my favorite like kind of transition spots in wrestling. They're so effective. So um, simple. This is another uh, an interesting one too because like it's a surprisingly there's a, a lot of moves here as well. It's not just punch back and forth, punch back and forth, mm. Austin kind of thingy. Like there are on, on occasion there are some matches during Austin's run in the Attitude Era where he sort of dials it back to the Ringmaster days a little bit and pulls out the old move set. Yeah, this was one of them. I think that's what they were really hoping for between them. You know, to main event SummerSlam, Madison Square Garden. Uh, one of the biggest buy rates of all time at that point, too. This was a massive show. They wanted to have a classic. And while it's not a classic because of, you know, yeah, the concussion and the crowd reaction, it's pretty damn good and much it better is. than any main event we've seen in WCW this year. When you when you put it down to that this is the poor, like it's the weakest of the Austin main events that we've seen so far, when it's a hell of a good match, like yeah. it's got everything that the fight spills out into the crowd. There's a really hilarious bit where Kane comes out and Taker basically is like, go away. <laughs> you're not, like you're not allowed. And then Kane just like, all right. <laughs> and you it's just like, see yeah, Kane's silhouette kind of in the, like the, the highway to hell gates. And then he's like yeah. oh, disappointed and leaves. <laughs> it's like, mom said you can't come out and play. Yeah. Mm. I'm playing with my friends. Austin's your <laughs> friend. You know? I'll tell mom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's a very, very cool match. Um, and as I said, it's the first sort of conflicted crowd where the opponents are getting a fair bit of cheers too. There is, uh, at this point in time too, Owen, oh, have you noticed that anytime Taker goes to do old school, they don't call it old school because it's still relatively... <laughs> still they, just call it, they just call it high school. It's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's just relatively like a move that he always does. But school. what I like... What I liked was like the nut job reversal that Austin does on it too. It's uh, it, and then it, he, he goes and hits a stunner, gets the win, and this is where I reckon Taker was right to remain like you know a face and still be cheered because it's the show of respect at the end because Undertaker's already got a fair bit of tenure. Here. He's the only link back because Michaels is not there anymore. Aside from the Undertaker, there's no real link back to. The new old gen. school WWF, even pre-new gen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's yeah. new generation. Yeah, yeah. No one from the, the classic era, from the Hogan era, like the golden era, except the Undertaker. Hmm. And when he sort of like, you know, gives Austin that bit of respect, if he was a heel, I don't reckon that would have had the same effect. Yeah. And I know he hits the nut shot, which is an amazing ending. The nut shot of the old school and then the stunner. He still pretty much beats the Undertaker clean. Like, I yeah. know it was kind of a nut shot, but he just beats The Undertaker. Yeah. Also, before we get to the, the end of the show and wrap it up, 
Undertaker's leg drop from the top rope to the announce table is fantastic. What yeah, a wild. Absolutely bonkers there. But uh, yeah, a, a terrific main event to cap it all off. A stellar pay-per-view there. You know, I can't really think of a weak match except no. for the Oddities one. Yeah. The, Oddities, the Oddities match is the only one that, and that's just match quality because it's. I was still highly entertained by the shenanigans that were going on there. But as we always normally do during um, uh, the end of a pay-per-view, we go through our MVPs and uh, what we liked about it. And this one's a tough one. This mm. is a really tough pay-per-view because almost everyone on this card, you could say, was an MVP. Like, where, where do you start off? Like, uh, we'll start with you, on actually. What, what did you think? Well, it's still fresh in your mind. You could go obvious, like the Triple H or The Rock or someone like that. Um, big old Taker or Austin, even. I'm going to go left to center. Um, only because I actually, even I, even because of all this, the, the, the last pay per view show I was on. Um, my, my best on ground is Sable. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> hear me out. Her wrestling was fine. Like she did quite a good job at delivering all the wrestling that she needed to do with that match. But that whole breakup angle with Mark Murray has been going on since, was it WrestleMania or the Rumble? Pretty much the Rumble. Pretty much the Rumble, yeah. So that's like eight months of program. And this was the bow, this was the bookend of the program. And she did everything she needed to do possible to make sure her program was finished perfectly and she did exactly that her acting was great her wrestling was fine her character work was great didn't you know didn't have to do the bikini or the handprint gimmick as she did in previous months like genuinely really impressed with sable's work plus she got edge on his first pay-per-view so you know what it works out well for everyone my my best on ground is sable what about you simon that's a controversial one. I don't know how I can top that. I was going to go really obvious and say Triple H or The Rock. Um, I'm going to give it to, I almost want to say Mick Foley. Yeah, he I was going to say Mick Foley. He mm. doesn't really have a match. He gets the hell beat out of him, but it goes so far into giving us the Mick Foley that we mostly remember, the fun-loving kind of sympathetic Mick Foley between the beatdown and that amazing promo. And honestly, he appears on the show for two minutes, but Vince McMahon almost steals the show <laughs> yeah, with that promo yeah. too. He so, really yeah. does. Well, the whole show is good. Everyone's an MVP, mm. but I'll give it to Mick Foley for that great segment. I'm also going to like uh, agree with you on Mick Foley because that's what I was going to say. I'm going to link it to Mick Foley is kind of doing what Sami Zayn is doing right now because Sami Zayn yeah. has no, like on paper, he has no business being in that position on the card mick foley he should like in all by all intents and purposes he should be done it's like you know move on champ of the uh, like challenge of the week now it's undertaker but he still managed to to stay relevant and actually stay very very entertaining so his promos are memorable the match is just memorable as well and he furthers along this austin mcmahon drama as well so i'm giving it to mick there we go and in terms of the match to beat we're halfway through the year We've seen the match of the year so far. Triple H and The Rock in the <laughs> ladder match. I want to see if anything tops this for the rest of the year. Well, I can, here's a bit of a spoiler alert. It won't happen in the next episode of Reliving the War because we're going to Sturgis for, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> for Road Wild 1998. 
where we're going to see the main event of Hulk Hogan and is Dennis Rodman? Is Rodman part of that? No, no, the, this is, don't tell me we're on the Jay Leno one. We it's are Hogan, on the Jay Leno Hogan one. and Bischoff versus Jay Leno versus, and DDP. That's why, do you, why do you guys do this to me? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, can't, you, can't have, you can't just have ice cream every single day. You got to um, eat the vegetables as well. Oh, my. Oh, yeah, oh yeah Simon, guess, guess who's back for singles action? Oh, it's no. Mongo McMichael versus <laughs> Brian Adams. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeez. Honestly, both of those, that is, we are, that is literally the worst match you could book in the history of the show. Brian yep. Adams, always the worst guy in the WWE. Now he's crossed over to Mongo. <laughs> this Put really Conan is. in there for a triple threat and the worst. Oh, it's, my great. It's the worst. And then just throw the Godwins in there somehow. <laughs> and then that would just be the ultimate worst negative seven star match in the world but yes make sure you do catch up on all of the archives here of uh, reliving the war you can do that at greywolfentertainment.net we will be back with another huge edition where we go to sturgis and relive the war and take you through road wild 1998 that's next on reliving the war This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.